Hi, this is Day for Night with Cardi That Switch, a series that looks at the intersection between theater and poetry, in the edgelands, in the wilderness. In today's episode, I'm going to continue with a selection from the book The Hour of All Things and Other Plays. I've read from three of the plays from this volume in the last few episodes, so I thought I'd read from the last one, uh, which actually is the title of the book, The Hour of All Things. It's published by Intellect Books and distributed by the University of Chicago Press. The Hour of All Things is a monologue uh, play. Uh, I tend to not always write monologues, but... uh, I write them. I've been writing them off, off and on for the last few years, uh, and I find the form uh, really fascinating, and one that requires a very specific kind of stamina from a writer, by a writer, uh, and also a, a different kind of attention, I think, to the way language lands and what the relationship is between the text and the audience, the actor and the audience, etc., So the Hour of All Things is built in portraits, and it basically follows an unnamed, well, named at one point, but mostly unnamed figure uh, that lives in the contemporary world in a city, uh, but most likely a Western city, uh, through a certain time in their life when they discover maybe or reawaken their own activism uh, and stop being complacent, really. Uh, And through that experience, they have an epiphany of some sort. Um, What I'm going to read is the eighth portrait. Uh, It's uh, the last portrait of the play. It's built in eight sequences, so eight portraits. So I'm going to read the last portrait. Uh, and it's uh, it's more like an offering uh, to the universe and an offering to the audience and a kind of place of transcendence. So here we go. This is from The Hour of All Things. Once upon a time, there was a magnificent country. And in it, there lived people who really, really cared about its evolution. All kinds of people who sweated and labored and fought battles and saw to it that the running order of things was equitable. All good for all or some such thing. Country had lots and lots of land, unspoiled, fertile, promising. It wasn't long before the country prospered from the labor and investment the people made in it. For a time it seemed as if this land was possessed of a distinct and unusual kind of happiness. Yet the magnificent country that had been getting by quite well, despite the occasional problems that any country is bound to have, suffered. The land groaned, ached, and bellowed from the people who were depleting it day by day of its promise. Soon there were barren stretches where once 
There had been fields and fields of plentiful harvest. Soon there were empty villages where once there had been streets and streets of vibrant life. Murder, rage, riots, and blood kissed the arrow of night, while those in power, those that had once prided themselves on the fairness of promoting an equitable life, hid themselves away in cellars of indecision and corridors of indifference. The blood gave way to quiet. A rather still, strange quiet that some mistook for peace. But the wise knew, the few wise souls that could still feel the sun on their skin, knew that this was just a storm in disguise, and that soon all of the people of the land would pay a significant price. What price? The wise souls would not say, for although they knew many things, they did not know the answer. They only knew that one day a record of shame would mark the land. After that, there would be a flood of tears, and this flood would drown all. Many, many years after, someone would travel to this land from far, far away and wonder what had happened in what by all accounts had been a history of beautiful progress. This person, this traveler of little means, would come upon a letter written in strange script that had been left upon the ground by a soul begging the earth for mercy. The traveler, curious about this letter and its strange signs, slipped it into a pocket in the hope that someone might be found somewhere on this vast earth that could translate it. The traveler searched far and wide throughout the land, marveling at the ruptured cadences of sound in the air and the banks of wild new grass that had sprouted from the scorched and dirty earth. Grass smelled, oddly enough, of fresh bread. The traveler thought this land could indeed be reborn, if only with a bit of tending. After days of splintering rain and walking through remnants of ships that sat along the banks of sluggish rivers, the traveler came upon an odd-looking creature that, from the looks of it, seemed to belong inside a story the traveler had read once many, many years ago. The creature was tall, very tall and had enormous wings that sang of fire. The creature beckoned. The traveler drew closer. Here, the creature said in a language that felt newly minted. Suddenly, the traveler had in hand what looked like headphones. The creature nodded, and with a precise gesture demanded that the traveler put them on. 
The traveler understanding or believing perhaps in the mysteries of the universe and what can sometimes be found when one is lost beyond reason did as instructed. The letter burned in the traveler's pocket. Somehow the traveler knew that whatever came through these rough-hewn makeshift headphones repurposed by this being with giant wings just might be the key to deciphering the code of signs inscribed in the forgotten letter. In the too muchness of gravity, in a atlas of serenity, in a land of justice and no justice, and fragile underpasses where servant sermons were once preached by so called free. There is a rumor of faith that breathes inside a prayer of sadness. There is a rumor of faith that aches inside a prayer of madness. There is a rumor, there lives a rumor, a rumor. There is a rumor, there lives a rumor, a rumor. In a felled instant, the traveler moved inside the creature's wings, and their dance sent a code to the heavens that became a lucid and incandescent opera of movement and rapturous sound. And in their tender, odd unison, across the stark, gleaming night, the stars aligned for a moment. Heaven broke a sweet sigh of desire. It was then, right then, that the letters spilled its inky signs across the land, and the traveler could see a new world rise up. What do I do with in this world? The traveler asked. What can I do in this world? The creature let out a laugh. Warm, joyous, trusting. For a moment, the traveler thought this could be the sound of life itself. As the creature flew higher and higher and disappeared into the radiant sky, a faint echo resounds in the air. And that is the section from The Hour of All Things. From the book, The Hour of All Things and Other Plays, it's published by Intellect Books in Bristol, in the UK, which you can find on Amazon and other booksellers, also on Intellect Books uh, website, and uh, distributed in the United States by the University of Chicago Press. And to close out today's episode, uh, I've pulled out a play that just, it's one of those plays that just 
left me speechless, breathless, uh, astonished the first time I came across it. And I, I do think it's a work that's built with a kind of magic about it. It's a play called Knives and Hens. It's a play by David Harrower, uh, whom I guess most people know by a play he wrote called Blackbird, uh, which was uh, a bit later in his career. Uh, but Knives and Hens was, I can't imagine it was his first play, but it feels like it has that energy of someone as a writer kind of just stepping out and declaring what their theater will be or how it can be. Uh, I can't say enough good things about this play. I, I think it still surprises me to this day. It has a very simple story. It's a triangle, a love triangle. It's set in a rural land, uh, perhaps in Scotland, where David is from. Uh, Pre-industrial, God-fearing uh, community, small. And it's a woman and two men. And the woman in the story is finding her voice. So it's sort of a play about her finding language, of finding, learning how to read discovering power in herself so uh, yeah it's great so this is just a, a speech of the woman's uh, from knives and hands this is me i live now others have more will i was born here because god wanted it he had me sit in my mother till i could look at all that is his world Everything I see and know is put in my head by God. Everything he created is there every day, sunrise to sundown, earth to sky. It cannot be touched or held the way I touch a table or hold the reins of a horse. It cannot be sold or cooked. His world is there in front of my eyes. All I must do is push names into what is there, the same as when I push my knife into the stomach of a hen. This is how I know God is there. I look at a tree and say, tree, then walk on. But there is more of a tree that is God, which I have no names for. Each day I want to know more. A puddle I can see under a tree when it is blown by the wind, a carrot that is sweeter than the others, the cold earth under a rock, the warm breath of a tired horse. A man's face in the evening after work, the sound of a woman makes when no one hears her. I know now I must find out the names for myself. I must stand and look close at everything and God will reward me. This is how I will know God better. The village has lied. William has lied. It is not because I am undeserving, not because I am young and they are old. God has given them nothing. I know this now. I see William plowing a field. I have no name for the thing which is in my head. It is not envy. It is more than envy. It does not scare me. I must look close enough to discover what it is. Everything 
in my head is put there by God, every name I have will take me closer to him. From Knives and Hens by David Harrer, published by Matthew and Drama. Thanks for listening. As always, this is about you and I here, you there in the dark and I here wondering who you are. If you want to support, please click listener support on whatever platform you're hearing this on. Feel free to check out prior episodes of Day for Night. Um, If you're feeling the need to catch up or just get a sense of how this all works, there's a method to the madness, but it's also an evolving organism, I think. Um, And so each episode is discreet and unique unto itself, but also building upon ideas and building upon themes. Uh, Stay close, be safe, and thanks for listening today for night.